Good morning. I texted one of my buddies this morning. He's going to be preaching. He don't preach all that often. And I just reminded him of what the Apostle Paul said. He's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, we beseech you in the place of Christ, be reconciled. And I just told them, I said, you're standing in the place of Christ to reconcile people, and there's nothing better that does the reconciliation as grace does. Nothing. Grace reconciles us back to the Father because it's found in the Son. We know the Scriptures that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The strength of Christ lives in me as the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit quickens my body, quickens my mind, and equips me with the mind of Christ so that I can actually be a representation of who Jesus is in our generation. You can be as well. And so that we could represent a God who is not seen, and now He becomes seen through our lives, demonstrated through our giving. Planning a church, I know because I've been here, is a lot of work. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit to birth a vision of something that didn't yet exist in the hearts of Mark and Val. So now we're actually standing in the substance of what was prepared by the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And now we have the substance of the Lord that we're standing in. It's the substance now. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, the Scripture says. So now we see clearly of something that wasn't seen, now we see it because we're standing in it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives, painting a picture of another reality that can become a reality the moment that we choose to partner with it. It's partnering with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives that created life inside of us because of Jesus. We are beloved of the Father. We love Jesus. And I know as a body, as a minister, as part of this church, as part also of the congregation, and I speak for all of us, that we hate anything that takes away from Jesus. We also hate anything that would add to him. It's not just the taking away that is wrong. It's the adding to that is just as wrong. Because when we add to Jesus something of ourselves, it dilutes the power that the gospel or the Holy Spirit was always meant to have in our lives as believers. See, anyone would say, you know, anyone who takes away, you know, from the gospel. And we know that it's also anyone who adds to. The gospel of Christ is grace. There's no other gospel other than the gospel of grace. The Apostle Paul said that this revelation which I received, I didn't receive it from man, neither was I taught by man, but by revelation of the Lord Jesus 
himself. The revelation that the Apostle Paul that we see written to all the churches is not the revelation of Paul. He clearly said it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you look in Revelations, John says in the first chapter, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It wasn't the revelation of John, but the revelation of Jesus Christ is grace. It's grace. For it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It is a gift, not of yourself, but of God. And then the scripture says, so that no man can boast. I can't boast of my salvation. I can't boast and look at somebody and say, man, you just weren't worth it, buddy. You know, but God honored and valued me so high, you just weren't worth it. I can't do that. Why? Because my salvation didn't come from my great faith. Salvation came by his great grace. And it's because of his grace now that I can stand in a place of faith and believe for something in my future. And because I believe for it, because the Holy Spirit has shown me, it's only a little bit of time, just a momentary time before you see me standing in what was promised because it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises, the scripture says. But faith and patience can only be sustained through grace, not through works. If I'm trying to work in order to achieve faith or patience, if I'm trying to do that, then what I'm doing is I'm resting in my own ability instead of relying on the power of the Spirit inside of me, which produces that fruit. That's why, like Mark just said, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he lists a whole different things that this one fruit does. One fruit can produce love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. One fruit. I love that. i never seen that. But now I do, and now I can't unsee it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> because we're so loved by the Father that He would give us one substance that could sustain us, not only through this time, but could actually carry us from this life into the next one. That's why the scripture says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We know that Holy Spirit was the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And then another scripture says that it was the mighty power of God that raised Christ from the dead. So if it was the mighty power of God at work in Christ through the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, it's going to be the mighty power of God in us that raises us out of those dead places in our lives. It's not going to be your sacrifice of works in order to obtain a position of godliness. It does not come like that. See, even the righteousness in the Old Covenant because of the law couldn't be sustained through works. That's why annual sacrifice had to take place because every year there was sin. That's why the blood of Jesus isn't continually sacrificed annually because in Him there is no sin. 
So if there's no sin, there's no longer a sacrifice for sin. Because with one sacrifice, he purged us forever, continually, forever. He's perfected us with that one sacrifice. The whole reason for this morning's message is these last two weeks, I was listening to two different really famous ministers, people that I cherish, I adore, I've grown so much under their ministry, and both of these ministers said the same thing. And they said that people say that we don't have to repent anymore because of this so-called grace. And they said it with disdain. One of the ministers used John the Baptist as the example when John the Baptist was calling the Sadducees and the Pharisees, which came to his baptism. They didn't come to be baptized, but they came to his baptism. And he used that example of him saying, Woe unto you, scribe and Pharisees, for I tell you, repent. And he said, right there it is in Scripture that we're supposed to repent. And immediately when he said that, I mean, I love repentance. When I mess up, I repent. Why? Because I need to be forgiven? No, I'm already forgiven. Repentance cleanses my mind, not my spirit. It's a contact point for me. So I'm not against repentance. But when we take the baptism of John, which we'll get into in Luke chapter 3 in just a minute, but when we take the baptism of John, John said, I came to prepare the way. I'm no Greek scholar. I'm no Hebrew scholar. I'm not even an English scholar. But I know that the word prepare means before. So if we try to take the baptism of John unto repentance and place it after Jesus, it's out of place. Because the baptism of John was to prepare the way. So if we take it and put it after the death and resurrection of Jesus... It's adding something to it which dilutes it. And it's not like I listen to these guys and I'm like, oh, you guys are heretics or I can't listen to you anymore. It's not that because these guys have invested so much into my life. I've never met them, but I've learned in just over a few years what took them 30 and 40 years to learn. So I would never discount their revelation. But if you're looking for one man to have all revelation and knowledge, that's Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul, who was given the revelation of grace in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, for now we, no in part, we includes I as pertaining to the Apostle Paul. He said, now we see in part, know in part, we prophesy in part. So even the Apostle Paul didn't have all revelation, but the revelation that he received was the base. And he said, if any man lay any other foundation than that which has been laid, he said, let him be accursed. So I don't look to these men like they're supposed to have all the revelation. What happens is we, as grace ministers, receive such a wonderful revelation of the grace of God, and then the faith ministers fight against grace because it doesn't line up with what they've received. 
But what happens is people start to think that I have all the revelation instead of receiving a deeper revelation, which actually brings us closer to Christ. They actually find themselves withstanding it. And anything that you withstand of God, you cap yourself at that level. Does God love you? Absolutely. Will God use you? Absolutely. But we have the potential to stop the revelation of God if we choose to fight against it. And it's a very dangerous place to be in. So, I just want you to know I'm not speaking bad about anybody. I love these guys. And no, I won't tell you their names. <laughs> because love covers. Love always covers. Love isn't trying to expose what people don't know. They're trying to actually build upon what's already there. So instead of taking away from somebody, you can actually add to them. You can add to them. I love Kenneth Copeland. I always love Kenneth Copeland. The revelation of faith that he's received is magnificent. I was listening to him speak. There's a message probably about six months ago that he preached. And he was talking about how his daughter, Kelly, has actually challenged him to go deeper into the love of God and relationship and identity. And he said, it was hard to admit, but I'm learning stuff from my kids. The reason why he's able to learn is because he never stopped being a student. And we find the words of Jesus that says in Matthew chapter 5, that blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> I know that I've received the Holy Spirit, but my dependency is upon Him. I'm bankrupt without the Holy Ghost. I would have nothing without the Holy Spirit. See, John prepared the way for Jesus, but Jesus said it's better that I go because Jesus prepared the way for us to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a big deal. He's a huge deal. He's not just the third part of the Trinity. He is God. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus refers to him as the spirit of your father. He's not just the Holy Spirit. He is the very spirit of God. That same spirit that's found in Genesis 1 when the spirit of God hovered upon the waters. When gross darkness covered the deep and God said, let there be light. The brilliance of the Holy Spirit at that moment was released into the earth because he wouldn't create the sun for two or three more days. The Holy Spirit was always supposed to be with humanity. Doesn't the scripture say that the Lord, he even takes the wiles of the devil and turns them out for our good and his glory? Doesn't the scripture say that? So even in Adam's disobedience, the Holy Spirit that was supposed to be with man, God turned out for our good and his glory because now the Holy Spirit that was supposed to be with us can now be in us. Oh, wow. 
We get a little taste of heaven. And you know what the scripture says? The whole earth is travailing and groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. The earth is waiting for us to manifest our sonship because we've recognized who we are, not what we're not. That I'm made in the likeness and image of God. Adam was made in the likeness and image of God. When he sinned, he died spiritually. But guess what? Every time Satan seen a man, he's seen the image of God. The glory that man had in the beginning was now lost. But the glory that man had on him, now we have in us. And nothing can touch that glory. Because it belongs to God and God alone. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 3. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria and of the regions of Trachoniatias. Hey, that's my best. So, and uh, <laughs> and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, Ananias, and Caphias, being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. John is in the wilderness. We know he's eaten locusts and wild honey. And like Mark said last week, what I thought was pretty awesome, while the locust is still chirping in his stomach, <laughs> the word of the Lord comes to him. <laughs> what is that word? Can't tell you. It's not recorded in any of the Gospels. But we know that that word carried something with it. And we're about to find out. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. So John received a word from the Lord, and immediately he went to the Jordan and the surrounding areas preaching baptism for the remission of sins. So before John ever baptized a person, he was first a preacher. But what was John doing? He was preparing the way for the Messiah. The only messages we have, and every one of them recorded in the four Gospels, John says, For there's one who is coming after me that was preferred before me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And then he says, In not many days. So in every one of John's messages, John was preaching Jesus. John wasn't just preaching baptism. You know that baptism is a foreign concept to any Pharisee or Sadducee in the day of Jesus? Baptism wasn't a custom in Israel. Never was a custom in Israel. So in the book of John, I forget what chapter it is, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to John and they say, tell us who you are so that we can go back and tell those who sent us. John doesn't answer them. 
So they say, are you the Christ? John says, no. He said, are you Elijah? John says, no. And then they said, well, what do you say of yourself? Who are you? And he said, I am the one in the wilderness crying, make straight the way of the Lord. Baptism was a foreign concept. And in the Sadducees and the Pharisees' minds, they actually reasoned in themselves that only the Christ could forgive sins. The very Messiah that they were waiting for. Because the scripture also says that all men were in awe of John and mused in their hearts, could he be the Christ? And then the scripture says that John confessed clearly that he wasn't. John's baptism of repentance was for the remission of sins. Do we get baptized in our covenant for the remission of sins now that we have a new covenant? No. Thank you, Val. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't go. <laughs> but, but you never know because, you know, uh, Val is very well. Her studying is, is very, very well. God has blessed you with the gift to study, Val. He has. You've inherited something that was meant for a previous generation, but it'll be released in this generation because of the gift that God has given you and your ability to study, and not only study, but to discern. The Scripture says that by those who by exercise of use have their senses sharpened to discern both good and evil, you have that ability, and it is a gift. And it was meant for a previous generation. But because you yielded to it, the study that's going to come out of you, it's going to be amazing. He's going to use it as curriculum because he's good. He's so good. Mm. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And now that we're on the other side of the covenant, you don't take the baptism of repentance and put it in to our life as Christians. Is there a need for water baptism? Yes, but it's not the baptism of John. It's not the baptism of repentance from sins. It's not. Because the baptism that John was preaching could forgive you of sins, so you would be a forgiven sinner. The blood of Jesus didn't forgive you of sins. It removes it. Completely removes it. So we're not just forgiven. Our record in heaven is we have never sinned. There's nothing to forgive because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. When we accept Jesus, we accepted the atonement, the payment that was required for our sin. See, the Pharisees knew that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. John's preaching baptism for the remission of sin. The Pharisees, they didn't come to be baptized. They came as spectators. And because they couldn't grasp the concept of John's preaching, they thought, well, then maybe he's the Christ. So they asked him, are you the Christ? And he says, no. We know without blood, 
No sin can be forgiven. It's Levitical priesthood. Everybody knows this. John knows this. But do you know what is amazing? Because if you look in Matthew's gospel, the scripture says that many multitudes came unto John being baptized of him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Let me set the scene because we read over that. Do you understand the power that was coming off John's life? Because we know that in Elizabeth's womb, he was filled with the Spirit and he left. So the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of John because he was obedient to the Word of God when he went into the Jordan. Multitudes come unto him. The conviction of the Holy Spirit for sin is so present that people are openly confessing their sins to each other before they're baptized. Nowhere in Israel's history. The high priest made offering for your sin. It's the truth. But what they probably couldn't understand in their mind is why is there so much power in what he's doing. How can these people actually leave here feeling like they're forgiven? And some are saying they are forgiven. Do we have a record in Scripture? No. But do you know the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit at work on somebody's heart because he couldn't be in them at that time? It's phenomenal. It'll transform a life. And these guys, these Pharisees, I mean, they can't figure out who John is to the point where they actually believe that he's not of God. They do. They come to Jesus one day and they say, uh, tell us by what authority that you do these things. Jesus says to them, first answer me this question and then I'll tell you. John the Baptist, of man or of God? They reasoned among themselves and they said, if we say of man, the people will stone us because everyone held John as a great prophet. But if we say of God, then Jesus will say, why didn't you listen to him? So they came back to Jesus and because of fear of the people, they didn't actually tell Jesus what they thought because they didn't think John was of God. So they said, we can't tell. Jesus said, among women, there is none greater born among men than John the Baptist. He said, yet he who is born last is greater than him. John was the end of a covenant. He was preparing the way so that a new covenant could be birthed. His baptism was for the remission of sins. But like I said, when you try to take John's baptism and apply it in a new covenant, what you get is confessing Christians. Confessing what they're not or what they've done instead of believing who we are because of what Jesus did. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. I just want to read something real fast. Remember, Everyone in here, I believe, has the Holy Spirit, so you better eat that fruit. <laughs> Be patient for me to finish. <laughs> oh, man, God is amazing. Because personally, I don't believe we have to repent after we receive Christ. You can't find a scripture that validates 
that mind state. Repent as in repentance from sin, not repent as in changing your mind. There's different words for repent. Well, yeah, Steve, what about the one in 1 John that says, if we confess our sins, he's good and just to forgive us our sins. But if we say that we have no sin, we make God out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, that word sin in 1 John is not pearl. And there's a reason for it. Because the only sin that can disconnect you from the life of God is not committed in your flesh. It's committed with your mouth when you deny Christ. With your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With your heart, you believe and are sanctified. The only sin that anyone is going to hell for today is not any of the sins that we name, even the big ones. It's the one sin of rejecting the only payment that could get you into heaven, which is Jesus. He said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but by me. He didn't say by yourselves and me helping you. He said you can't even come into the kingdom except by me. It's not us plus Jesus. It's Jesus in us through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But we're about to see here in Acts 19 that there's another baptism. And it's not the one found in the book of Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 or chapter 4. It's not that baptism where they received the Holy Spirit. There's a different baptism that we're about to look at. Let's look at Acts chapter 19. We'll start at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Listen to what Paul is about to say. And he said unto them, With what baptism were you baptized? And they said... Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what did this baptism represent that the first one couldn't establish? The first one was repentance from sin. The second one that they received was they were baptized into the name of Jesus, which represents birth into a different kingdom. It's not a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of a new birth. And that new birth leaves us spotless before the presence of our Father. That we're not sinners who've been saved by grace. See, that's what the original baptism of John would have did. Well, we're sinners, but we've been washed by baptism. 
So my name would still be sinner. But through this baptism, through in the name of Jesus, it took us from sinner to son. And now I derive my identity from the person inside of me. Not the person I used to be or the person who tries to come back to life though he's dead. I derive my identity from the father who has set me apart and called me forth from my mother's womb that I should go unto the Gentiles, unto all people and preach Christ. That's each one of us who has been given this revelation of who Jesus is. God has called us from our mother's womb that we should go unto all nations and preach Christ. What is Christ? He's not repentance from sin. Because if you're repenting from sin, you're living in the old man who's supposed to be dead. So let me ask you a question. Did he really die? Is Christ really alive? Did you mortify your members which are upon the earth? And you can't do that through religious works of the law. You can only do that through submission to the fruit that is inside of you because the root is connected to the life force of God. Jesus said, I am the tree, you are the branches. No man can produce fruit unless he remains in me. That's found in John chapter 15, the gospel. We can't produce fruit if it's not stemming from the actual root, which is buried deep into the lives or into our hearts. We've been given this so freely by grace. Why would I want to taint it through my own works or the acknowledging of what I'm not? See, repentance for me works really good because it's not a confession of everything that I'm not. It's a confession of everything that he is. I have a promise that's supposed to perfect me in the person of his son. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 12 and tell us to be renewed by the transforming of your mind through the word of God. And as we renew our mind according to who God says that we are, that's who we become. Because that's where the transformational process that we're all looking for begins to take place. But if you're trying to renew your mind in here according to your failures, then repentance will be a constant thing. And I'm not exaggerating. My mom and my stepdad, they owned a construction business when I was young. We were living in Paducah, Kentucky, and they hired a guy named Rick. Now, Rick was a believer, but Rick was a very messed up believer. The whole time you worked with him in an eight-hour day, he would walk around saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Because Rick was always conscious of his sin. He wasn't conscious of the Christ, which purged his sin. We don't walk around with sin consciousness. But if you think that you have to repent for even a thought that came to you, which didn't come from you, but came to you, you will live in a constant state of condemnation, being burdened by life. Instead of being able to tap into the life administrating force of the kingdom of God, you'll be living in a natural kingdom dictated by what you did instead of who he is. So when I hear stuff and people are saying grace preachers are preaching against repentance, so-called grace, like we don't need to repent. And then they say stuff like, if you don't repent, it opens the door for the devil. 
I don't see that in Scripture. <laughs> it sounds really good, but I'm pretty sure that that's not how the devil's getting in. That's how people's lives are destroyed. Sin is not a joke. It's very serious. People who find themselves in it and not listening to the Holy Spirit, they destroy their own lives. See, the devil has no power to destroy you. If he could have, he would have before you accepted Jesus. And like I heard another minister say, if the devil can't keep you from receiving Christ, which is his first and foremost will, he wants you to burn with him. He hates you because you were made in the image of God. If he couldn't keep you from receiving Christ, he got another acceptable will, but it's not his perfect will. Let's get you out of here before you can impact anyone else's life. So what he does is he tries, like I was telling my cousin Jesse, it's called the pile-up technique. He just tries piling a whole bunch of stuff in at once, hoping that you will get your eyes off Jesus and on yourself. Because if your eyes are on yourself, they can't be on Christ. Because in Christ, there is no condemnation for those who believe. But if you're believing the lies that come through voices of condemnation, then you can't experience the liberty that the Spirit was supposed to bring you because it's up to you what voice you listen to. It is. It's up to us. But the moment that we realize that sin can't stop us from getting to God, sin is a distraction to keep us focused on ourselves, that in Christ is the solution to every sin. So when I sin, I don't withdraw from God. I come closer to him because in his presence, I find my liberty. And it's the truth that this gospel of grace is a reformation that is way more than a movement. It's a reformation to how the church has believed for centuries. Because powerless Christianity is no longer acceptable in our generation. Because people don't want a theology. They want freedom that's expressed through the person of who Christ is. Not a good doctrine, but a real relationship. Someone that they can call daddy, Father, brothers and sisters who are there for them in their weakest times, who call them and tell them, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. <laughs> but it's the beauty of our gospel because there's no other gospel. There's no other gospel. <sighs> I was asking the Lord, during worship, and I said, uh, what will become of triumphant grace? I asked to see it. And I felt like in my spirit, he wanted me to ask. It's so weird. Sometimes God wants to tell you something, but he prompts you to want to ask. I felt like uh, Peter, when he's talking to Jesus, and well, what will become of this one? And Jesus says, uh, what is that to you? You follow me. <laughs> you know, I was reminded of that scripture, but I didn't feel like that. I didn't feel that it was like, that was from the Lord. But he didn't show me what we would be, but I've seen, I, I seen a multitude of people. The multitude can't be numbered. And I've seen all of them being washed by the blood of Jesus, and I heard these words in my spirit, that triumphant grace will raise up warriors that know how to fight for what is mine and take back what is theirs.
And I believe that. I didn't see a big building. That's kind of what I was looking for. <laughs> didn't see that. Just to see a people being washed by the blood of Jesus. We're so precious to the Lord. We're so vital in this generation. I honestly believe that this message of grace is the missing ingredient that's going to bring fullness back to the body of Christ. You say, well, how can there be anything missing from the body of Christ? Well, it's not recorded in in Luke and the scriptures that I read, but it is recorded. Jesus came unto John in the Jordan, said, I need to be baptized by you. And John said, uh, I need to be baptized by you. Yet you come to me to be baptized? And Jesus said, let it be this way in order to fulfill all righteousness. So let me ask you a question. Was, was Jesus righteous? Yeah, he had never sinned. He was a spotless lamb. Yeah, he, he was completely right with God. So what did that mean? I looked up the word fulfill. You know what it means to complete. It's not like anything was lacking. He was bringing righteousness to completion. And that's what I feel like grace is doing in our generation. It's bringing righteousness to completion because it's releasing us from the bondage or the lies that have robbed us from our identity. See, the law will sell you as slaves. But you know what grace does? It frees you. It don't only free you from being a slave, it redeems you to being a child. That's the revelation of grace. That's why there is no other gospel. No other gospel. Is grace against faith? No, like Mark was saying this morning to me when he called me, he was saying that grace and faith are supposed to work together. Everything in our life has been given to us by God. Just like I said in the beginning, so I can't look down at the man next to me and say, man, I'm sure glad I was worth it, but you, buddy? <laughs> can't say that. Because the same blood that was paid to redeem me is the same blood that was paid to redeem him, and neither one of us had to work for it. All we had to do was believe it. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that we're not sin conscious in this new covenant, that the baptism that we now receive, it actually produces a new birth inside of us, which places us in a new kingdom. We thank you that old things have passed away and you've declared that all things have become new. We thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We thank you that you even said who can bring any accusation against those who you called. It's you who justifies. So we thank you, Father, that justification is always working on our behalf because of our covenant that was written in Christ's blood. I want to thank you that you also said that your word shall not depart out of my mouth, the mouth of my seed, the mouth of their seed. And you said, from this time forth and forever. 
I speak that over all this congregation, that your word hasn't departed out of their mouth, it won't depart out of their seed's mouth, out of their seed's seed's mouth, from this time and forevermore, that the revelation that they received will be transmitted in such a way that when it's transferred, it will gain interest and increase in the lives of all of our children. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.